Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. According to the Michael Keaton movie, you know what happens when you say Beetlejuice three times, right? Let's find out. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. Yes, a sitting member of Congress is exposed fondling a date at a family-friendly musical. Now, for me, when I last said Beetlejuice three times in the 80s, that member was Dan Rostenkowski. Not as much fun as this time around when it was Lauren Boebert. And again, the shocking behavior that she was engaged in was fondling a date, and vice versa, in a large public setting. Call it groping, call it fondling, I'd call it strong second base activity. That's the headline though, right? It should be no. The actual headlines were that Lauren Boebert was accused of creating a disturbance and vaping, possibly vaping. And then she denied vaping, but the tape showed she vaped. Johnny Cochran, therefore, could not get her out of this one. But it wasn't. The real scandal, if you will, was not that she was taking hits of Jewel. It's that she was feeling the fellow's family jewels. And he, her boobs, to be fair, I am sorry to have to mention this so starkly, but it does seem that we have lost our capacity for good old-fashioned sex shaming. Look, when an aspirant to the Virginia State House was shown to have engaged in online sex for money, I didn't say anything here on The Gist. You know why? It wasn't because she was a Democrat. It was because that story was irrelevant. The only thing I ever knew and will likely ever know about that person is that some good opposition research got dumped on her head and her OnlyFans activity will actually probably benefit, though, her political career. I think we'll be toast. But Lauren Boebert, the most look-at-me member of Congress, and night vision cameras, what a pair. Just going at it like two kids necking at Inspiration Point. Only one of the kids is on the subcommittee for government operations in the federal workforce. It's not that Peggy Sue will ruin her reputation if she's seen as a fast girl. A ruined reputation is Lauren Boebert's reputation. I'd say that treating the scandal as one of electronic cigarettes, as opposed to grabbing a fellow's honker, shows me that we have lost the plot. And he hers. Not plot, but yeah. Her. Her private bits. I don't want to in any way diminish the mutual molestation of play. The Randy Republican has said she has broken up with her comrade in arms and laps, but the Daily Mail reports their relationship has been going on for months, not the one-time assignation that Boebert had implied. This all, of course, detracts from the bigger issues of war, climate change, government shutdown, and John Fetterman's shorts. But also, I think it does point to a troubling development in our once sex-centric scandal sheets. My fellow members of the media, it's not the smoking, it's the stroking. On the show today, accusations less proved, less solid than whatever it was that Lauren Boebert was up to in that movie theater. But first, activist and member of the Human Rights Commission for the city of Austin, Texas, Alicia Roth-Weigel, 
has a new book out called Inverse Cowgirl. She is one of the, what she says is 2% of people in the world who was born intersex. Intersex means born with both male and female reproductive organs. The book talks about her growing up with life-changing surgeries as a child, how to reclaim bodily autonomy, and how she came out as intersex in front of the Texas legislature. Alicia Roth Weigel, up next. Shit like eight times a week. So just relax, you'll be fine. Drink your $50 wine and take a breath. Alicia Roth Weigel is an activist and a human rights commissioner for the city of Austin, Texas. She was born intersex, which she disclosed in testimony before the Texas state legislature. Kind of an unusual coming out story, if you will. She gets into this, her life, her experiences, her activism, instructing us about being intersex in the new memoir, Inverse Cowgirl, Alicia, welcome to The Gist. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. I'm excited to be here. So before I start, I'm going to quote Terry Gross, because you were on Fresh Air, when she said, if I ask you anything you're not comfortable talking about, all you need to do is tell me. And if I unintentionally use any language that's considered inappropriate or offensive, I also hope you will tell me to educate my listeners. Does that sound okay? I'm not great at holding my tongue, so rest assured, I will probably say something. (laughs) You're going to raise your hand. And also, I'm going to add this. I'm very interested. I'm very curious. But I have some questions, which I hope you don't consider to be pushback. But on some statistical matters, I do have some questions. So I hope we could get into that also. All right. Okay. There are many different kinds or ways to be an intersex person. What was your way or is your way? Yeah. So... My intersex variation is called complete androgen insensitivity, which means my body does not respond to androgens or quote unquote male hormones. So despite the fact that I was born with XY chromosomes, which most people correlate with being male, um, I did not develop in utero to become a male because my body was like, nah, I'm good. I don't really like those androgens. So I'm going to take this other direction. And I swerved. And so on the outside, I look very quote unquote female, but instead of being born with a uterus and ovaries on the inside, I was born with internal testes um, that were subsequently removed. And that caused a, a host of other issues, but that in a nutshell, that is my intersex variation. Subsequently. So how, how soon were they removed? Within months. I'm not sure how many months, but I was uh, definitely less than a year old. What were the considerations your parents were asked to contemplate at the time? So the doctors told my parents that I could get cancer one day, which is statistically possible. Uh, We have more data now than we did then. We know that people born with my variation in particular have a risk of somewhere between 1% and 5% of testicular cancer much later in life. However, removing the testes when they did um, essentially put my body into hormone withdrawal, which required me to then take external hormones. Um, Had they left me intact, the way my body would have functioned is my testes would have produced testosterone. My body would have said, okay, I'm not able to process that in the typical way. And so it would have converted a lot of that to estrogen and it would have peed the rest of it out. So I would have developed um, 
naturally on my own. And because they, they took the testes and then required me to be on uh, external hormones, that has caused other issues, um, other health issues. Like you have a calcium deficiency. I do, yeah. So basically I was, I was in hormone withdrawal for a while. And at the time they were giving me a level of, of estrogen that was not sufficient to support uh, bone growth. And honestly, that is all because there is just such a dearth of research on intersex issues. We do have some really great bodies of research um, conducted by Human Rights Watch in conjunction with um, Interact Advocates and a host of, of doctors around the world. So we're, we're starting to do better. We've also been working with um, President Biden's administration. He mandated a report on health inequities faced by intersex people. So they've been working on that for the last year, and I'm looking forward to reviewing it. But um, they, they didn't know exactly how to treat my body because they, if you think about it, when they intervene so young on us um, to push our bodies one way or the other, they basically essentially treat us like, okay, that is the gender that you are. And so we're going to lump your data in with the rest of that gender, which um, means that there just isn't enough research on what our bodies need to stay healthy because they're not, they're out here treating me as female, which I am a woman, but I was never female. I am an intersex woman. Right. So I, and I do want to get to the chance of developing cancer. But other than that, were there any other considerations, social considerations, how they felt that your body producing testosterone might show up later in life in puberty, et cetera? Well, so there are a lot of intersex people who are left intact, um, either because the only reason they knew I was intersex when I was born is because my parents had had genetic testing done prior to my birth that showed them that I had XY chromosomes. Had that not happened, they never would have known until I just never got a period one day. Uh, because most babies, you're not, I mean, there is more genetic testing in this day and age than, than prior, but with most babies, you're not out here testing their chromosomes from day one. And there are certain intersex people that don't even find out they're intersex until much, much, much later in life for unrelated reasons. But there are intersex people with my variation who are left intact, who develop, um, looking like women presenting very femme in the world. So it was less, it was, it was about the risk of cancer that motivated the surgery. The subsequent, um, hormone regimen and kind of conditioning that I always received in, in doctor's visits, that was much more about trying to normalize me into one category versus another. Mm -hmm. And did you feel other than your knowledge of a, your chromosomal makeup and B, the fact that when you hit puberty, you didn't menstruate, did you feel like anything other than what uh, I guess a stereotypical woman would feel like? Did you have those issues of, you know, I don't quite fit as uh, the definition, society's definition of femalehood? Yeah, because I had to see all these doctors in secret uh, throughout my childhood. And at a certain point, I was put under anesthesia um, so that a bunch of male doctors could look at my junk and kind of evaluate it at a certain point, which happened um, 
I believe in my preteen years. And so there, there was a, a lot of experiences that did not fit in the, the category that all of my girlfriends, how, how they were experiencing childhood, puberty, et cetera. Um, I do not feel dysphoric as a woman, which is why I am an intersex woman, but I don't identify as trans, but there are plenty of intersex people whose bodies were pushed one way or another, especially those who have external genitalia that didn't fit as neatly into a male or female category as mine does. Um, and a lot of them, the doctors choose a gender for them because they're not comfortable with that in between, force them into that gender through uh, hormones and surgeries. And sometimes the wrong decision is made. And, th and then that person ultimately ends up transitioning later in life. And in that case, they are both intersex and trans. So the word you, one word you use in the book is castration. Do you mean that as a term of art or do you mean that literally? Well, they, they took my balls without asking me. They castrated me. They did. That is, that is true. Now they were internal. Um, and you, so what is your stance now that a bit, this should never happen to a baby, no matter what doctors and parents think? Yeah, they, I mean, it depends on our argument as a movement is that if these issues are non-life-threatening, um, and even especially with mine, the risk of cancer, again, is somewhere between 1% and 5%. So there are other um, variations and biological conditions. For example, I'm not sure if you've heard of the BRCA gene, but yeah. the, BRCA, the BRCA gene is a genetic predisposition to getting breast or ovarian cancer. And the rates of those cancers are much, 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 much higher. So you'll like in the rate in the range of, I believe 40%, don't quote me on that, but much higher than one to 5%. And yet you don't see doctors taking little girls ovaries without asking them without their consent, because they might have a risk of cancer later in life. They wait until the child is of an age where they are able to play a meaningful part in that decision-making process. So the activist community that you're aligned with is saying that this procedure should not happen. You laid out why, but is it the standard of care when a girl is born with CAIS, which you had, will they invariably have their testes removed? No. So the standard of care has shifted a lot in the 33 years since I was born. The One of the largest issues is that uh, intersex bodies, despite making up a pretty sizable percentage of, of the world's population, um, all things considered, you know, people think that we don't exist <laughs> or that they've never met someone like me. And I can gar guarantee you anyone listening has just doesn't know it. Um, but one of the main issues is that despite making up a, a relatively sizable portion of the population, there's so little education done even in medical schools about our bodies. And I've spoken, I speak to doctors all the time, as much of our advocacy, if not more, is not just in the political realm, it's also within the medical arena. I'm often talking with med students and doctors, etc. And they receive so little information that uh, they might be operating on what they learned in one footnote of one paragraph of one textbook in med school 30 years ago. And so um, until there is more research done, until that research is more widely circulated, until we become normalized enough in society to where medical schools feel it important enough to teach about our bodies as they do about any other body that exists, then uh, the, the issue will continue to happen. So there were there are some people in your in a very similar situation uh, to yours, XY chromosomes, 
internal testes, C-A-I-S, who weren't, as you say, castrated. Yes. Now, if you're advocating for this not this procedure not to happen until uh, a child is a- able to give consent, that would mean that there are plenty of people who are living their lives who did have their testes removed, who actually appreciate that that happened before they could even worry about it. And there's also an appreciable group of people who didn't have their testes removed, who are probably, I would imagine, quite upset with their parents for not making this step. How does your activism square with what must be that fairly prevalent position? Uh, I think there are two aspects to it. One is that my surgery was irreversible. Um, if someone waits, they can always get the surgery later. Um, I cannot unget the surgery. <laughs> and so that's one thing. The second thing is that I think a, a sizable portion of the population, even within the intersex community, has internalized this belief, as I had for 27 years until I came out, that I was just a defective female rather than something different, something altogether different, which is I was born intersex. I have a vagina. I also have testes or had testes. (laughs) So, you know, we are proof that nothing that exists in this world is as simple as a binary in terms of physical, biological traits. Everything that exists, exists on a spectrum. Um, Even without considering intersex people, some cisgender men grow a lot of facial hair and some don't. Some cisgender women grow big breasts and some don't. Every sex trait that exists, not to mention just any physical trait, whether it be eye color or whatever, any trait that exists, exists on a spectrum. And for for me, I was born closer to the center of that spectrum. However, the messaging I received was that I needed to be on one side of it and I was defective for not fitting on that one side of it. And I think there are a lot of intersex people that have really internalized that and process their shame through, um, you know, trying really hard to fit that mold and maybe for them that's okay. And I'm, I'm totally fine with them living their lives that way. I would argue though, that if these surgeries are irreversible, delay is okay. You know, there's, there's literally, there's, if there's no risk of this child getting cancer, which there isn't, it always shows up later in life. Um, if there's no risk associated with waiting, then we should wait and we should let the child make a decision. And we should also engage the child in a less biased conversation that is more to the extent of there, there's a large population of people out here like you. We can introduce you to other people like you. So you feel less alone. And so then it's all, it's less motivated then by a desire to fit in when you've never met anyone else who's like you, of course you're going to want to try to be like everybody else. Um, but if you're able to realize you're part of a community, there's nothing inherently uh, shameful about the way that you were born. I, it's such a weird idea to me that any of us should be born inherently hating ourselves purely because of the body we were born into. It's just, it's just kind of wild to me. Right. So I totally agree with you on all the destigmatization. I agree with you on all the messaging. I agree that no one should hate themselves. I agree that we absolutely have to acknowledge as uh, 
as Steven Crowder didn't in an embarrassing for him, I think, uh, colloquy with you. However, I'm going back to the idea that there are people, maybe hundreds or thousands of people walking around who had who had the medical procedure at the time that you had it, and they appreciate that. They appreciate the fact that their parents did this for them or that this was done to them. They didn't have a say, but now they're intelligent adults and saying, yeah, I'm glad that happened. Is your message is they're only doing that because they internalize hatred? No. Or because they aligned with what they would have chosen. Yes. But there's a but there's a large portion of people who it doesn't align with what they would have chosen. Okay. So why would the, so why would the move not be to let everyone choose? Well, the, I guess the move. I guess the question is who is the everyone who gets the choice? And we always parents always make and doctors always make decisions for little babies who can't possibly make a decision. Yeah, I just think that these decisions are so steeped in bias and not necessarily in what's medically necessary. And until that changes, um, how informed can a choice really be? Okay. So now as far as the medically necessary point, when you say that there's a 5% chance of testicular cancer and you acknowledge that- I say I between, list- between 1% and 5%. So it right. could be 1%. But the Cleveland Clinic right now on its website says people with CAIS have a 30% chance of developing testicular cancer. And according to the Annals of Pediatric Endocrinal Metabolism, this was a 2021 report, they write the risk of gonadal tumor increases in age in patients with CAIS and is estimated at 3.6% at 25 years and 33% at 50 years. So if it's if it's 3% at 25 years, by that point, leaving someone intact, their body would have de- been able to develop naturally and they could have elected to then surgically remove those testes uh, to avoid the risk of, of future cancer, which is similar to my argument about the BRCA gene, right? So if someone right. wants to preserve- So you're saying the one, point, the one to 5% is up until the time when a person becomes an adult and can make a decision, there's a less than five percent. And and when their body and when their body could develop naturally on its own. So the the reason I would have wished my testes would have been intact is because I could have seen how my body would have developed had it not been intervened with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, at that point, I could have chosen to get the the surgery, um, or I could have chosen to keep my testes and regularly monitor them for for cancer. I'm not sure what I would have chosen because uh, who knows, you know, what societal messaging I would have received. Who knows, you know, it's really hard to, in hindsight, when you've gone through 30 whatever odd years of conditioning to, to know for certain what you would have chosen, but I would have liked to have had that choice for sure. I understand that. You don't disagree or you're, there, you have no reason to rebut that the odds do increase to what this uh, medical journal is saying, which is about a third of people at age 50 do get gonadal cancer. I would just say there's like a real lack of research. That's one study. And when all studies are quoting wildly different <laughs> percentages, it's obviously showing that we need to fund more research. And we will continue our conversation with Alicia tomorrow as we talk about some of the statistics in her book, Intersex's Place in the LGBTQIA Community, they'd be the I, and some guy named Steven Crowder. Tune in tomorrow.
And now the spiel. Wall Street Journal headline, female professors sue Vassar College alleging gender-based salary discrimination. Vassar, founded as one of the country's first women's colleges, pay women 10% less, lawsuit says. Okay, well, Lizzo was accused of being fatphobic in a lawsuit. Ashton Kutcher was accused of being anti-rape victim. Planned Parenthood is being sued for racial discrimination and wrongful termination of a black woman. Lumentum Operations is being accused of anti-Asian bias and a 20 million million dollar suit. Two of that company's four executive vice presidents are Asian. Not dispositive, just a data point. And the do you want arugula or rice with that fast casual restaurant Sweetgreen is being accused of discriminating against black workers by two fired black workers. It sometimes seems as if everybody is being accused of everything. And I'm not sure if the mere presence of a lawsuit makes such allegations newsworthy. Ah, let me amend that. You can report on it, but an accusation doesn't make it credible. And the pro forma denial, which is basically demanded, you know, we look forward to our day in court, we rebut all these allegations. I mean, that technically is hearing from the other side, but practically it's merely a placeholder that says no comment. The lawsuit against Vassar was reported in the journal with this detail. Male professors are paid $153,238, while female professors earn $139,322, or 10% less according to the suit. I mean, it might be 10% less according to the suit, but it's 9% less according to math. I don't know if a story with almost no actual facts, but all allegations, benefits from getting the one possible fact that you could check on a calculator wrong. Here's another one. Hunter Biden sues IRS saying disclosures by agents violated his privacy. The suit from the president's son says investigators for the tax agency, wait, oh, that IRS had no right to make public details of his finances. It was filed days after he was indicted on separate gun charges. I don't think that lawsuit has legs. I also don't think Hunter has arms or a firearm. In fact, I know he doesn't because his ex-sister-in-law tossed his gun into a dumpster, worried that he'd use it to kill himself in a separate matter from the tax case. The 54-year-old Hunter Biden faces 25 years on the charges of lying about drug use on his application to get a gun, which isn't technically a life sentence, but the most time anyone would ever have gotten for a crime unconnected to any other felony. That said, Hunter did lie, did seem to lie, and even his lawyer doesn't dispute the fact that he was using drugs when he said he wasn't on his application, even if he held the gun for about 10 days. So here we are, and here I am, not just on the podcast, but in print, a Pesca Profundities substack has two articles, one today, one yesterday, about Hunter Biden and his business dealings. So not about this scandal, but about his time at Burisma. The first of my two posts, I think very, very fairly lays out, allows that there is at the heart of all this, at the alleged Joe Biden scandal, an uncomfortable fact that Joe Biden was in charge of rooting out corruption in Ukraine when Hunter Biden was working for a corrupt company. True, part two pretty much sets fire, or at least sets its sight to a non-fact. The New York Post and others have, quote unquote, reported that Joe Biden sought to oust a corrupt prosecutor, even though that prosecutor wasn't corrupt. But dear listener and reader, I hope if you go to the Substack, Victor Shokin was in fact a foot-dragging, reform-thwarting, festering, handmade into corruption. I have about 50, man, 
20 examples in there. And one last thing, because I want to be accurate and correct, Ashton Kutcher and his wife, Mila Kunis, though accused, they were not sued. Their case centers on the fact that they wrote a character reference for their friend, Danny Masterson, who's been convicted of rape. They then took massive amounts of criticism and resigned from the charity that Kutcher himself founded. Uh, He removed himself from the board of Thorn, which describes itself as the first engineering and data science team focused solely on developing new technologies to combat online child sexual abuse. From everything I've read about the charity, it works. It It does a lot of good in the world. Without Ashton Kutcher, it wouldn't even exist. And now he's been removed from the board. I don't know how this makes anyone in the world more safe. Here is a clip of the celebrity couple defending their decision to offer a letter to the judge who was charged with sentencing Masterson. We are aware of the pain that has been caused by the character letters that we wrote on behalf of Danny Masterson. We support victims. We have done this. At the risk of saying something unpopular, something that upsets Kathy Griffin, which actually was a flashpoint cited in the coverage of the Kunis Kutcher pushback. We need to allow space for mercy in the criminal justice system. Masterson was convicted of horrific crimes. He was convicted of drugging, raping, and assaulting women in 2003. But the very reason we have the institution of the character letter is to allow judges to take into account not just the worst deeds of a person, but the full picture of the lives of convicted people. And that's a good thing. Judges seek out information so that their sentences allow for the possibility of rehabilitation And who do you rehabilitate? Re. It's called rehabilitation. Someone who has shown some signs of humanity and goodness in the past. It is wrong to have a criminal justice system that only focuses on the evilest acts of a person. Chilling the submission of the character letter is a bad thing. And this is the most high-profile debate or discussion of character letters that we've ever had. So I've got to think the next time some criminal defense attorney asks a family member, can you write a character letter? There is not a small chance that they might say, ooh, look what happened to those famous people in the one case I've ever heard of regarding a character letter. You know, 30-year prison sentences, that's what Masterson got, despite the character letters. That's literally longer than the maximum sentence in a few Nordic countries. The maximum sentence that they literally would give to a mass murderer. And those countries are usually rated as the safest, by the way. We should take seriously the cost of punishing people who offer unpopular opinions in the name of, in a word, mercy. And even if you disagree... Even if you think this one defendant, this one celebrity defendant got away with it for too long and doesn't deserve such consideration, how does that stance scale? Are we going to shame and drag everyone who says a mitigating word for every convicted rapist? There are 20, depending on the statistics, there are 25,000 rape arrests in the United States, could be 16,000 according to the FBI's incomplete data, but 25% of those are of African Americans. The majority 
majority of those are of people with far less means and far less life chances than Danny Masterson ever had. You want to visit upon them and punish anyone who says, not a bad person, loved his children, or not disputing this horrible act and the fact that he needs to be punished, but take into account these other things about this person's life before you give the maximum sentence. I mean, if you say that, no, everyone accused of rape always deserves the maximum and we should not allow anyone to ever stick up for them without getting condemnation and societal opprobrium. Why not just have mandatory sentencing and maximum sentences in every case? And I'll tell you why. The answer is just as we don't want to live in a society that turns a blind eye to sexual assault, we don't want to live in a society that turns a deaf ear to the nuances of justice and strict regimes of punishment are a sure way to get to that society. So for the accused, let's all take a breath. And even for the convicted, let's spare some degree of consideration. And that's it for today's show. Corey Wara produces The Gist. Joel Patterson's the senior producer of The Gist. Michelle Pesca's Clue, CLO Peachfish Productions. The Gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oompru, Gpru, Dupru, and thanks for listening. I have more photos of Commando Kutcher here, naked in a club, than probably anybody. No way.